At Riverbank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. Glory to God. We're starting a new series this month titled Joy Unlocked. Say Joy Unlocked. Hallelujah. Joy is very core to the Christian culture. And today we are studying on take your joy off things. Say I will take my joy off things. Hallelujah. Are you ready? What is joy? The Zondervan Encyclopedia of Bibles defines joy as the state of mind. Did this sound from here? All right. <laughs> The state of mind in any pleasurable experience. Say the state of mind. Say the state of mind in any pleasurable experience. One more time. The state of mind in any pleasurable experience. I thought it was important to define joy to us because joy is one of those things that not many of us can define. We probably know synonyms of the word joy, but not description. We don't know how to describe joy. And if you don't know how to describe it adequately, you might not see what definitions help you do is that they help you break down a concept to its granular form, to its small form, to bits and pieces that you can take in. Do you get what I'm saying? Because when you define joy as excitement, you might be correct, but you can't apply it. You don't understand the science behind it. So, this, this is where this definition comes in. The state of mind. It is, I know joy in your spirit, but it's also a state of mind because of an experience that was pleasurable. So when you know this, it becomes easy to recreate joy because it's very simple if i can create pleasurable experiences i can have joy because it's it's a result of something it's a result of something oh this is beautiful once again say joy is a state of mind because of a pleasurable experience one more time joy is the state of mind because of a pleasurable experience. Alright. And so, let's say for example, please shut one of those. Let's say for example, you see the result, two of you are closing one door. <laughs> That's impressive. Let's say for example, your students and your result comes out and you aced the exam. There's that feeling. Or you look at your third term result and you see promoted. I remember the very first time that I had to collect my result by myself in secondary school. Taught them. And then I opened it. My heart was beating. Because I didn't know what to expect. You always don't know what to expect. Sometimes they give you A. Or sometimes you get A. Sometimes they give you F. And then I saw promoted. Ah! 
I felt big. I'm serious. I remember when I graduated from school. I couldn't believe it was me. I had arrived. There were so many students everywhere on the streets. I was like, ah, students. Ah. And sometimes joy lasts for a day. Sometimes for a week. Sometimes for weeks. You just feel big. Ah, oh, you're excited. Maybe you buy a new phone. Maybe you finally buy an iPhone. And you just... I mean, every time you wake up in the night. And every other person will check their phone. But this checking of phone this night is different. Because it's an iPhone. So when there is a pleasurable experience, what, you ex what the state of your mind becomes is joy. And the Bible buttresses this. Because when you look at the Bible, you look at the life of some certain people in the Bible. For example, Paul. Paul had this church that was very supportive. They were sending funds. How, how many of you are upset about people that send you funds regularly? Nobody. You're so happy when they show up. When you hear that uncle so-so-and-so that comes from America that gives you money, not the stingy one, is around. You know, I was thinking about this weeks ago. Why do we hate to greet visitors? When there's a visitor, you just, you rather maintain silence for two straight hours. Pretend to be sleeping than say, good afternoon, sir, and go back to your room. I don't get it. I need to find out what the fear of greeting visitors is. But you, that will not come out for morning devotion. You won't come and wash plates. You won't do house chores. You won't come out and greet anybody. But when that uncle that brings money comes in, then you are of your best behavior. You that don't care about academics, you bring out your results. And so Paul had that type of church that sent him things. And look at this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 into verse 16. I'll read from the NLT. It says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help. When I first brought the good news, the gospel, and then traveled on from Macedonia. He says, oh, no other church did this. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, he says, you sent help more than once. And then in chapter 1, verse 4, read chapter 1, verse 4, everybody want to go. Everybody want to go. Again, want to go. He says, he prays for every church. We know that. Very prayerful man, Paul. 
Paul was such a prayer genius, a prayer giant. He told the church that all of you in this church, I pray more than all of you. But then when it came to this Philippian church, he says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy. He was so happy. So happy. That's what joy is. Because of a pleasurable experience. Another example is in the life of Paul. There was a time that Paul was under house arrest. He was under house arrest. And so he couldn't move out. And so he had to start writing letters to many of the churches. Coincidentally, some people even left him at that time. Can you imagine? Left him, betrayed him, walked away. And so there were certain gaps in ministry, certain places where Paul had visited to preach the gospel, there was nobody to pastor them. So even the people with him, he had to send them. Have you been at home? You think you like being alone. It just depends on the duration. After a while, you get sick. What you might not realize is that one of the most cruel punishments in the world is isolation. Only you. Just keep you in this room. You think, oh... I'll be very excited. Ah, <laughs> because we are created for relationship. And so after a while, Paul was getting stressed, and he wrote a letter to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter one verse four. He says, "Read it together, everybody." Second Timothy one four. He said, "Greatly desiring to see you." Have you felt that way before? That you really wanted to see someone? So, I'm one of those people that think that we like to be alone. I like my personal space. I don't like to be disturbed. Right? And I realize many pastors are like that. They like to pray alone. They like to study alone. And pastors don't usually like Bibles as birthday gifts. For some weird reason, people think all that pastors want to do in their life is read the Bible. So, when they want to give pastors something, either they bring wine, or they bring a Bible. I have an iPad. I have many translations. And I can have as many more that I want. Please don't give me a Bible. A new what? New shoe. Oh, there are new shoes. Good. New shoes. Good. I, I like sneakers now. Selling it yesterday. Like this one. There are three shades. Yeah, but yeah, I, I like shoes also. You know, the Bible said, Blessed are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Blessed feet. <laughs> now someone has gotten name for their footwear. Footwear company. <laughs> so, last year, November, December, my wife traveled. And I was like, ah! Home alone! She doesn't disturb me. It's not like she disturbs me. I'm not saying she disturbs me. I just wanted to study and pray, you know, prepare for the new year. <laughs> you know Jesus of Nazareth she traveled from Kaduna to Abuja to fly into Lagos before she got to Abuja I was sick I started roaming the street like madmen like a madman there's nobody I did not call so even if you're introverted at the point of staying alone you'll be tired that's what I'm saying and so Paul said I greatly desire to see you. Ah, I know what that means. 
greatly desire to see you. So, she traveled for three weeks. Imagine how I was feeling day one. She now left for three weeks. When she was coming back, she was going to use the same route, flying to Abuja, then coming to Kaduna. But her flight was delayed, normal stuff now. And so, her flight came in late. So she couldn't come that day. So she was going to come the following day. People of God, I left for Abuja. <laughs> I left. <laughs> so, Paul was saying, greatly designed to see you. He said, be mindful of your tears. He said, that I may be filled with what? So, there are experiences like that. But because of pleasurable experiences, you have joy. Praise the name of the Lord. I want to skip a number of things I wanted to talk about because of time. Many of us have experienced joy. You prayed for things, you got answers, you excited. But many of us have not had the things we wanted. This month we are studying on joy unlocked. And many of us have actually prayed for things from health to finance, career, the business, relationship, family. And we've not seen any results. And if joy is the experience of your mind because of pleasurable experiences, you, it seems excusable that you have not been joyful. And this is where many of us are. And that's why we're teaching what we are teaching today. That there is an aspect of joy that you take your joy off material things, physical things. I hear what I'm saying. There is a, there's an aspect of the teaching of joy that doesn't involve material things. It involves pleasurable experiences, but not physical things. Now listen. God wants you to be excited by having material things. And that's where I want to start from. Because sometimes we feel like God is, you know, <laughs> in Lion King, I'm very, I, I don't watch cartoons, so if I reference cartoons, be sure that it's very old. It can't be anything, I can't re reference anything new. In Lion King, I think it was part two or part three. What's the name of the monkey? Rafiki. When this guy said that Kiara should marry who? No, that's Kovo. Thank you. You don't know Lion King. Ah, where's, where's Grace? Grace said that we should start watching movies in church. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down. Okay, I want to be on the camera. <laughs> Where are you going to? So she said we should start watching movies in church. That's we should start watching Mount Zion films. I was like, oh, I see. Mount Zion films. So as she saw that, I began to accept. She said, but sir, we can start with John Wick. Mount Zion. <laughs> so, Lion King. There was the female lion, lioness, right? And then the gods or the past kings were meant to tell them, this who should marry whom. And so he said, Mufasa said, let his granddaughter marry his uncle's, his brother's son. 
And that brother's son is uncle, even in cartoons, they are terrible people. So Rafiki told Mufasa, I think you've been in the cloud for too long and you're no more thinking straight. You don't understand how things happen here. But that's how many of us see God. You're so high and exalted. You don't understand how it feels. You want me to chase the gospel, get people saved, get people discipled. You don't understand the pains of academic success. You don't know what it feels like to chase money. You know what it feels like not to have a partner. They're just thinking about saving souls. And I agree, saving souls is good. But you've been in the cloud for so long. You don't understand what's happening here. But the Bible says that's not true. You do not have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of your weaknesses, your inadequacies. I hear what I'm saying. So you might not feel like God can relate. You might not feel like he understands, but I want to assure you under God's word that he knows what you're feeling. Because if the devil lies to you that God is just up there, he doesn't care about you, he just cares about his own agenda, you begin to form some form of resentment and irritation for God. It's it's the same old trick. He walks to Eve and says, the God says you should not eat this thing. He knows that if you eat it, it will be advantageous to you. He doesn't understand what you feel. He doesn't understand that that if you take this thing, he knows that if you take it, it will be good for you. And he tells you to leave it alone. But here's what I want to say. I want you to understand that God actually wants you to be happy. He wants to meet your needs and make you happy. Let me show you in the Bible. John 16, 23 to verse 24. John chapter 16, verse 23 to 24. He says, in that day you would ask me nothing. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He says, read together everybody who wants to go. Most assuredly, I say to you, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will... I find it remarkable that he says, ask the Father. Ask the Father. He could have said, ask the Almighty God. Ask the creator of the world. But he explains to you that you're asking Daddy. Someone you have a relationship with. Somebody that cares about you. So he's not just teaching you prayer from the perspective of creation and their creator. He's teaching you prayer from the perspective of father and son. He says, in teaching about receiving things from God, he says, if you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more? So, apparently, God gives much more. So, if evil parents, think about people that are not of God, people that are not godly, but they might have material things, they might have means, would gift their child a supercar in their 18th birthday. The person has even gotten driver's license. He has a Ferrari. Can you imagine that? 
Years ago, a popular blogger bought, I think it was a Lamborghini for her son. I think she just gave birth to the son. So they'll be using to take him to crutch. Their children have become instant millionaires. As birthday gift, just take $30 million. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? Listen, nobody can outgive God. I don't want your experiences to deceive you all. Because your experiences can change like this. But I want you to maintain the right perspective about God. The Bible says, if people that are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, he didn't say God does the same thing. He said, how much more? So in this verse we were reading, Jesus said, ask the Father he will give you. Now verse 24. Read verse 24, everybody wants to go. Glory to God. Have you heard people that think that if you're happy about something, you jinxed it? Ah! He said, I know you are happy that the answer is coming. He says, I plan to give you so your joy will be full. He didn't say, if you are happy, you will jinx it. He says, I know you are happy already. But he says, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. He says, ask, and you shall receive. Ask, and you shall receive. He says that your joy will be full. Before you look at your experiences, I want you to look at how God thinks. He wants you to get what you want so that you will be happy. So you will be happy. So you'll be happy. I know we think he wants to give us for his glory. There's that. But he wants you to be happy. And he wants your happiness to be complete. See, that's my daddy. See, that's my daddy. So that's an aspect of prayer. When you ask, you get it, you're excited. But then there's another one. Where you might not get it. Where the result might not seem like what you want. And what I want to explain to you this morning is what God wants you to do in a situation where you don't get what you want. Let me show you instances in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 3, from verse 17 into verse 18, the Bible says, and Daniel was speaking, he says, if this is the case, our God whom we serve, right, is able to deliver us, you know the story, from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us, Actually, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the ones speaking here. 
He says our God can deliver us. And he will deliver us. But verse 18, he says, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God, nor worship the graven image. I like the way the, um, the message translation puts it. So, go to message translation. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve will cause rescue. So it can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might come up with. He said, but even if he doesn't, it won't make a bit of difference. And we will not worship the stature that you've put up. So there's that aspect. Where you might not get what you expect. But there's a way the Bible wants you to react. Because many of us are clueless on how to react. And many of us react in different ways. But the Bible is clear. I might not get what I'm looking for. But my faith in God doesn't change. I pick up my excitement for some other pleasure. There's a different way to look at pleasure in that scenario. Because there's joy from answers to prayers. But even if he doesn't give you what you want, and you don't get what you want, there's a different way to see the pleasure in the situation. Are you hear what I'm saying? Are you hear what I'm saying? So here's the thing I'm telling you. That sometimes life is not a bed of roses. And things don't happen the way you planned. And things will happen the way you want. And it doesn't mean God hates you. There's a biblical way to act in that scenario. And you hear what I'm saying? There's a biblical way to act. And I want you to learn it. When things don't, when you can't get joy for material things, what God wants you to do is to get joy from spiritual and eternal things. When you cannot get joy for material things, God wants you to turn your perspective, take your joy off things, and get your joy from spiritual and eternal things. So, God is not saying, God is not wicked because you didn't get it. Uh -uh. In the third week of this month, I believe, I'll teach on how to find joy in tough times. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 51 verse 12. David said something very interesting. Read together, everybody want to go. He says, He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So, apparently, there is joy that comes with salvation. There is an excitement, meaning salvation is a pleasurable thing that can result in joy. And so David said, restore to me that joy, that excitement. Now, some people can relate with these things. Some people cannot relate with these things. There are people that as soon as they got born again, they felt a lightness. 
They felt like they were new. There was just that joy, that peace, that calm, that satisfaction in them. Now, not everybody might experience that ecstatic feeling. But what that experience shows you is that in salvation, there is an experience of ecstasy, of satisfaction, of joy. I hear what I'm saying. So, maybe in your life you've never felt it. You don't know what it means. But there are some people that as soon as they got born again, something just changed in them. What God wants you to do is to have the same experience. Some people, it just happens to them at the snap of a finger. But for some people, you will practice the word. You will do the word and you'd experience it. It's the same thing with addiction. Some people, as soon as they got born again, the taste for alcohol, for drugs, for homosexuality, for all of these vices just ceased. And then you're like, where are you guys getting this salvation? Because you're struggling. So, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that there's a provision in Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? Where you can experience this victory over habits. Some people, it might happen at the snap of a finger, but for many people, when, as you practice the word, you experience that victory. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the same thing with joy. That there is joy in salvation. In a spiritual and eternal thing. And that's what I'm here to explain to you. So just follow me. Praise the name of the Lord. Ah! I'm out of time. In Luke chapter 2 verse 10. The Bible says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that would cause great joy. Say great joy. So, I'm giving you news that will cause great joy to everybody. Now, you might not have felt the great joy. But it's a possibility. That's what I'm saying. So, what I'm teaching you this morning is, even though God wants you to be joyful from physical and material things, there's a greater joy. Do you get what I'm saying? In spiritual and eternal things. So that even when... He, even if he doesn't deliver you from the furnace, from the affliction, from the situations you need him to, you can still experience great ecstasy and satisfaction. We can see you and we can see that there's no burden on your shoulders. This message, many of us need it daily. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, what is this joy of salvation and how can we experience the joy of salvation? Oh, thank you, Lord. Now that we know what the joy of salvation is, how do we experience it? We've seen from the life of Daniel that it's possible for a man not to get what he's asking for and not be depressed. Do you get what I'm saying? We saw also from life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are not discouraged. Also in the life, the story of Joseph, 
there is something that you can learn from the story of Joseph. Now, last week I told you about how many people read the story of Samson wrongly. Remember? And that's how the story of Joseph is also. Many people don't get the point of the story very well. So let me tell you what the story is. There was a man named Abraham. How many of you know Abraham? We met him before. So there was a man named Abraham. And then he had a son named... Sorry, named... All right, Isaac. And then he had a son named Jacob, right? Right? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Abraham had a son named... And Isaac had a son named... And Jacob had a son, a son. <laughs> and Jacob had a son named... Okay, Jacob had plenty of children, isn't it? However, the, it almost looks like the, son, the special son of Jacob was Joseph. Right? And it even, uh, you know, the matter gets worse because Jacob, Joseph is having dreams. He looks like, look, he's the star in the family, isn't it? So he had a dream. He saw the sun, he saw the moon, and saw other stars bowing down to him, to his own star. And then he just looks like, huh? And then his father gave him, his father thought he was gay. I gave him a coat of many colors. I'm kidding. <laughs> but his father gave him a beautiful cloth. Beautiful. He could wear it with any shoe and it would go. It would match with any bag, any trouser. And so he looked like he was a star in the family. And then we study and teach around the story of Jacob and Joseph. You know, he was in the prison one night. And then he became the prime minister. The Lord will make you prime minister. In a country that has no prime minister. <laughs> Even those that are not in prison. You know the problem with that story? Of course, maybe we feel like we identify as being in prison right now. But we're not reading the story accurately. Because the star in that story is not, Jake, is not Joseph. The star among the children of Jacob, whoever his father is not, is not Joseph. Do you get what I'm saying? No. And I'm going to show you with a few scriptures. The first thing I want to show you is this. Very interesting lesson from the Bible. How that na many names in the Bible have a message to them. Right? The Bible calls Peter the rock. And he said, on this rock I'll build my church. Many things like that. For example, there was a story in the Bible. Some of you might know this. Book of Philemon. Philemon has just one chapter. You can go and read it. He had a servant called Onesimus. Onesimus means useless. And that was the person that was doing useful things around the house. <laughs> so Nismos ran away. And in those days, your servant is a possession. You bought him, you own him. You can give him as inheritance to your children. But if you run away and they catch you, they are going to kill you. So Nismos runs away from Philemon. But Philemon was a disciple of Paul. And so, 
Paul began to write a letter to Philemon because he had met with Onesimus and he has preached to Onesimus and he had believed the gospel. He has started discipling this guy. I didn't want that awkward moment when Philemon will come for conference and see Onesimus cleaning lectern for Paul. So he said, let me make it right with you. Let me tell you about Onesimus ahead of time. He's with me and I want to send him back to you. But he knows the rules. You run away as a servant, you, are, you come back, they'll kill you. But he said something that we should learn as believers. He said, I preach the gospel to you. He said, you owe me your life. You owe me your life. You can't take this guy's life. So I'm going to send him to you. Then Paul says, makes this poetic statement. He said he was once useless to you, but now he's useful. You see that? So we see them using names. Names had messages with them. And then when you study the names of the children of Jacob, you see the message. Are you ready? All right. The children of Jacob, the names. There's Reuben. Did you adjust it? Why? Don't adjust it. Leave it. Leave it. There's Reuben. There's Sim. You know what? Leave it. Let's, let's go the way you did it. Then you, you bring everything to scale. Is that okay? There's Reuben. That means behold a son. There's Simeon. That means what? There's Levi. That means what? There is um, who? Judah. That means... There's Simeon that means, sorry, uh, uh, sorry. There's Dan that means, Naphtali, God, Asha. By the way, this is what Minister Dunsin shouts. Do you know that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not joking, I'm serious. Asha. Yeah, that, I'm for, for real, that's what he shouts. That means what? Exactly. So that's why he shouts it that way. Then there's Issachar. All right, brings wages. Zebulon. Joseph, your guy. And Benjamin. All right, shrink everything. I want us to see everything at once. So these are the sons of, these are the sons of um, Jacob. Now listen, but there's a message there. There's a message there. The me here's the message. Are you ready for me? This is why I say you should not shrink it. Here's the message. It means, remember we said, Reuben is behold the son. It means, just look at me. It means, behold Christ the son and hearken, listen to the son, that's Christ. He says, and you will be adopted to sonship, joined to sonship, to the praise of his, the glory of his grace. Which is actually what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to verse 5 says. Right? So, behold the Son, listen to the Son, and you'll be adopted into sonship for the praise of God. Who has judged sin, that's done, and wrestled with principalities, and have made us company, that's God, of his blessed and happy, Asha people who have received his wages as our inheritance or our dwelling place or our habitation for he has added us as sons, that's Joseph 
to sit together in heavenly places. Glory to God. So I'm just going to read it without explaining it. Behold the Son, behold Christ the Son, listen to Christ the Son, and be and you would be joined or adopted to sonship to the praise of the glory of his grace, who has judged our sins and wrestled with principalities and have made us company of blessed and happy people who have received his wages as our inheritance or dwelling places, for he has added us to be seated together with him at his right hand. Glory to God. So there's a message there that God has forgiven our sins, added us to sonship, and he puts the reason there. You know what? This is, might not be projected, but please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to read this one. Everybody open your Bibles. I didn't plan to read this one, but I wanted you to look at something that is important. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 5. He says, are you there? Ephesians 1.5, are you there? You didn't bring your Bible to church. Oh. Ephesians 1.5, every other person, are you there? No response. Are you there? Ephesians 1.5. Hmm. The day we do sword drill in this, in this church. <laughs> Ephesians 1.5, are you there now? He says, having predestined us to adoption of as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the, ple the good pleasure of his will, he says, to the praise, to the glory of his praise. He has adopted us, which is what everything we're reading was about. Forgiving our sins, listening to the son, you know, re receiving what the son says, being adopted to sonship. He says, the purpose is... That we is for the praise, right? The celebration of the glory of his grace. Everything is for celebration. Remember, we said there must be a pleasurable experience for us to have joy. And we said we need to put joy on things that are not material. And then God says, I've done these amazing things for you. That would result in celebration for all people. Now what's the celebration? He said it's the celebration of the glory. That is the surpassing virtue of his grace. Here's what the Bible is saying. That all that he did for you is so that you so celebrate his exceeding favor towards you. All that God has done for you is so that you celebrate his exceeding favor towards you. All that God has done is so that you celebrate the exceeding favor of God towards you. So, God has favored you even when it doesn't look like it. I hear what I'm saying. When you pray and you don't necessarily get the results you want, God has favored you. He talks about the exceeding, the glory. It means it's in a class of his own, right? I've explained that before. He talks about the exceeding favor of God. God. So, God wants you to know, right? That he has favored you above everybody else. Meaning, 
Nothing might be happening in your life. But you are the most favored person. So let me show you examples. Whilst we think that the most celebrated son of Joseph, what's his name, his father's name again? Jacob is Joseph. The actual most celebrated is guess who? Judah. Judah. In fact, guess what? Listen, oh, the reason, you know all those, Joseph preserving his brothers. He preserved everybody, but he was especially to preserve the life of Judah. The reason is this. It was through Judah that the Christ would come. The promise that God gave Abraham, Paul said it is to your seed, not to your seeds. Talking about Christ. Meaning through Christ, everybody in the earth would be blessed. But if Judah died of starvation, <laughs> you're getting it now, right? So when God was bringing Joseph out of prison, making him prime minister, he was preserving someone that was, you know, just unnoticed. So, Debbie, nothing might be happening in your life right now. And things are happening in other people's lives, so... But you are favored. He's walking behind the scenes. So nobody necessarily celebrated Judah in his life. But through Judah, if Judah died, ah, we're asking, why didn't you look for food? You can't be too lazy to go to Egypt. You must go. The whole world is waiting for you to get to Egypt. You can't die. <laughs> Did you hear me? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 into verse 3, it says, Isaac, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat who? He forgot about everybody. And who? His brothers. <laughs> verse 3, he now said, Judah begat. Do you get what I'm saying? That's it. Judah begat Perez. That's all. You didn't talk about the brothers again. Moved on. So when it looks like nothing is happening, God wants you to see and celebrate the exceeding favor of God in your life. Are you hearing me? Let me show you the prophecy that um, Jacob gave to Judah. So in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesied to his sons. Here's a prophecy for Judah in verse 8 into verse 9 of Jacob, uh, Genesis 49. Genesis 49, 8 and 9. 8 to 10. Judah, you whom you are, he whom your brothers shall. It's not projected. What's happening? Let me read it to you. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Can you imagine that? Including Joseph, that's for me, you bow down to me. <laughs> you do joke. He says, it's you whom your brothers shall praise. He says, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemy. This is the wrestle with principalities. Remember we read that? He says, your father's children shall bow down before you. <laughs> Jacob's prophecy in the mud. 
Verse 9. He says, Judah is the lion's web. He says, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, he shall arouse him. Who shall arouse him? Verse 10 says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He said, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall be the obedience of his people. Let me read from the NIV. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. He says, you are the lion's cub. Judah, you return from the prey, right? So that's coming back from the dead for the Christ of God. He says, like a lion, he couches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? He says, the scepter, kingship will not depart from Judah. Nor a ruler's staff from between his feet. Talking about his lineage. Right? He says, until he whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nation shall be to him. So, in God's eye, the most important son of Jacob was Judah. Was Judah. But if you read the life of Judah, there's nothing you know. <laughs> Are you hear what I'm saying? Are you hear what I'm saying? So how does that apply to you practically? You're praying nothing is happening. Other people are moving on. Things are happening in other people's life. Your life is just there. Your goals for the year, you've not even started scratching it, not to talk about digging into it. You've not even finished last year's goals, not to talk about this year's goals. And almost unlike any other year, December is around the corner. How many of you feel that way? Like, ah, June, July, boy, it looks like December is... This July is feeling like November. It's giving November vibes. It's giving November. <laughs> Calm down. It's on that person's birthday, not yours. <laughs> I hear what I'm saying. So, apparently, no pleasant situation are happening around you. But God wants you to seize your joy from material things and put it on eternal and spiritual things. God wants you to recognize and celebrate not just his favor upon your life, but an exceeding amount of favor that is upon your life. What he's saying is this. There's nobody on the surface of the air that is more favored than you. You're like Judah. Nothing seems to be happening. But he has favored you. He has favored you. How? Ask me how. <laughs> Remember when Jesus taught you on prayer? He said... Until now, you've, asked, you've not asked the Father anything. Let me tell you. Ah, the favor that you've received of God, listen to me, is that God calls you his child. And he's your daddy. That's the favor. There's no... Do you know what the Bible says? Let me prove it to you. The Bible says, what manner of love is this? 
that he should call us his own. What kind of love is that? What kind of benevolence? What kind of kindness is this? So, maybe you don't know. Maybe you think that people that are getting answers, people that are moving on, people that career is advancing, business is experiencing breakthrough, their health is solid. You think they're the ones that God loves. He says, what kind of love is this? That we should be called children of God. Because many of us don't understand what father means. I'm not going to teach it today. But it means that number one, he's your source. You came from him. As he is, so are you. Hi! So, his virtues are your virtue. I hear what I'm saying. What is possible with God is possible to you. His abilities are at work in you. The Bible says, if God is for you, who can be against you? That is, stand on top of the earth, ask the question. If God is for me, who can be against me? Even when nothing seems like it's working, he says we know that all things work together for the good of those that are called of God and are loved of him. He's working for my good. What I'm saying is this. You are Judah. Nothing is happening in your life. Some other people have moved on to Egypt, moved on to become prime ministers, but it's working for your good. It's coming around for my good. My business might not have made any progress this year. But behind the scenes, it's working for my good. My relationship might not be where I want it to be. Or maybe it's even non-existent. It's working for my good. My family might not be where I want it to be. You are praying. Save my brother. Save my mother. Save my father. Looks like nothing is happening. He's working for my good. He said, We know. I hear what I'm saying. There's no greater love than this. So, how about if you celebrate? The God that is walking behind the scene and stop distracting yourself with the things you are seeing physically. How about if you quit worrying about what you're seeing physically and focus on the facts that He's walking behind the scenes and I can celebrate His exceeding favor? He's my source. It means everything I have came from Him. Are you hear what I'm saying? The situation is not in control. God is in control. The difficulty is not in control. God is in control. Other people are not in control. God is in control. My daddy is in control. Listen, he has not let the throne know. Nobody unsat him. He's seated. He is the one running the affairs of my life. Even when you mess up like Samson. Hey! just position a young boy that is innocent and obedient to show you where the pillars are. You thought as Samson your hair needs to grow back. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to do this and this. Say no. Ah! I'm interested in you. And so when Samson prayed 
and he leaned, leaned on the pillars and pushed. Everything came down. Such that at the end of Samson's life, he was at the center of God's will for his life. Hi! Samson. After breaking all the rules, ended at the center of God's will for his life. Uh, how about you? He's walking behind the scenes. He's not obvious. He's walking behind the scenes. So I want you to quit, quit worrying. I want you to square up. <laughs> I want you to realize that someone more intelligent than you is walking. Someone more powerful than you is walking. Someone who loves you so much that the Bible remarks, what kind of love is this? What is man? What is it? What is it? <laughs>